Welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I'll be joined by my occasional co-star, my sweet grandmother, Mimi. We've spent many of our days tending to our plants and animals on East Meadow Farm, but now we are embarking on a new project, the Chelsea in the Meadow podcast. We started this podcast to help guide you through the process of maintaining your own home garden. On our show, we truly believe that everyone can grow, and we want to help you, the listeners, be successful by sharing what we've learned from our experiences as longtime horticulturalists. Join us each week for tips on how to attain the garden of your dreams. On this week's episode of Chelsea in the Meadow, Mamie and I explored the many different components of soil. We looked at soil layers and the importance of organic matter, macro and micronutrients, as well as the roles they play in plant growth, how the pH in organisms affect plants and their health, where to get a soil test done and how to do one yourself, and most importantly, the harmful truth of using pesticides and herbicides on your garden plants. Listen on for more tips and tricks about home gardening. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. Today, we are going to start off with our meadow update. So something has been going on with our peaches, right, Mimi? Yes, it has. We discovered the other day that they're leaking around their bases this honey-colored, amber-colored gel. It's really a sap, but once it gets out, it feels like a sticky um, gel. So a little research told us that uh, the plants that are affected by this condition are any that have pits, like peaches, nectarines, cherries, that whole family. So then we started searching around, and pretty much every one of our peach trees has it at some point. We aren't sure if it's going to cause any damage. Uh, everything we looked up sounded like it isn't terrible. It's a condition that they call gamosis. Uh, it's spelled G-U-M-M-O-S-I-S. And it usually is telling you that the plant isn't happy about something. Um, we're hoping that it's a condition because we have had the rainiest summer ever. So they've all stayed in this uh, too much water. A lot of times the water is visible around the base of them. So we're hoping that the winter will allow some of that extra water to seep away. It's not raining today. And, um, and then maybe next spring and next summer they'll be able to mend back. Um, but they look okay on the top. It's just around the base. Yeah, it was pretty shocking when we <laughs> saw it happen at the bottom of the tree. And you're like, what, what is that? What is, what is this goop coming out of our trees? So <laughs> Yeah, it's just to show you that there's always going to be problems out there. And there's usually ways to fix them but not always. Um, so what you do when you find something you don't like is you try to research it up a bit and see if there's a, anything that you can do to help. Right, right. So today we're going to be talking about soil for our main topic. 
Um, we want to start with kind of describing what soil is. I am a geology minor. So back in my college days, I broke out one of my old textbooks and looked up a kind of clearer definition than what I could come up with of what soil is. So this comes from the Earth System History by W.H. Freeman in the 2014 edition. Soil is loose sediment with organic matter that has accumulated in contact with the atmosphere. Now, they talk about this in more of geolo- uh, geology terms. Um, when they say in the atmosphere, it means not underwater, of course, because uh, we also think about you know the soil and sediment that accumulates at the ocean floor as well. So we want to kind of go into what kind of makes up soil and what soil we focus on for gardening. We like to look to topsoil as um, it's what you plant into. It's the topmost layer of the soil bed. When you look at a cross-section of soil, it's the top one. It's usually darker than the subsoil layer. The subsoil layer is also important. It holds a lot of um, mineral nutrients. They are not as much organic matter, so that can be important for root vegetables. But um, but you want your topsoil to have at least a, you know, hopefully more than a few inches. But when you look at it without any um, uh, help added to it, it can be, you know, as small as a couple inches. But you want to work that topsoil to be, you know, hopefully a foot to plant into. Um, It contains organic matter and it can also be known as humus and um, sand and also clay. And with sand and clay, I think as a kid, it, it took me for college to really to start to understand like what sand and clay is. It's not referring to the actual like material or like minerals of it. It's referring to the size of the particles that make up sand and clay. Now, sandy loam is usually what is ideal for planting soil. You want to have um, particles that are, you know, somewhat bigger that allows for more surface area on the particles for water to attach to. And then the loaminess of it, um, you know, goes, you don't want a ton of clay because the more clay you add, the harder it is for it to drain. So you want to have things that are going to allow drainage because plants don't really like to sit in water, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> you should be, when you get your soil the way you want it, you should be able to dig a small hole, fill it with water, and watch it go away with your very eyes. If it stays in a puddle, then it means you have too many small particles and not enough larger and not enough organic matter in there to help it drain. Right, right. So it's important to know like what kind of texture your soil is, and we'll get into how you can find that out a little bit later on. Um, But it is also important to remember that different plants like different soils too. Like plants that grow in a desert area like highly draining soil versus, you know, plants that you'd find in a more swampy area might like a little bit extra water. So it's important to know kind of where your plants are coming from, where they're native to, so that way you can determine their growing conditions to make it as 
comfortable for them as what they're used to as possible. And then we really want to hit on organic matter and talking about what that is. And so it's made from decayed animal or plant material. It needs to decompose over time. So you need the microorganisms in the soil to to break down that compost, break down that organic matter so that way the plants can use it. So organic matter plays a pretty big role in the gardening process. It's provides the macronutrients that you need for the plants, like nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And so now we're going to get into kind of what nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium do for the plants a little bit. Do you want to talk about um, just kind of what they are a little bit? Sure. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, they're usually the three main components that you're going to see on a fertilizer bag. <laughs> so we figure you should have an understanding of what each one does. I will give you one clue. If your numbers are a double digit, there are always numbers on the front of a fertilizer bag. And if the numbers are a double digit, it is not an organic fertilizer. They will always be single numbers like 432 or a 666 or a 555. But if you say a 101010, it's not an organic fertilizer. So that's the first tip. So the first number that you see is an N for nitrogen. And what nitrogen does for your plants is it gives them um, the dark green color that they have. It keeps them stockier and sturdier and not so tall and spindly. And another thing it will do is if your plants look a little bit like they're paling up or they're losing their lower leaves because they're yellow, then a quick shot of nitrogen will help that. We use um, dried blood meal <laughs> and, and uh, we just sprinkle a little around the base of the plant and the next time it rains, it waters it through and within a week, you can usually see the, the change. Um, too much nitrogen is absolutely not good. So don't think that you can just throw it around everywhere. You got to know because some insects like aphids are attracted to a plant that has a lot of nitrogen in the leaf surface. So that balance is there. And that's why the fertilizers are balanced when they hand them to you. And usually you're fertilizing at the time of planting and then maybe one more time a month later. So not much more than that. Um, so uh, let's see. The next one is phosphorus. And the to back up one minute, the nitrogen that you put in your soil is water-soluble. So it's going to wash away over the winter or if you're in a terrible rainy season. So that might be when you start to see the yellowing and you know it needs a little bit more because water will wash it away. Then we get to phosphorus. And phosphorus is the next one on the list and it encourages root development and it also helps you with fruit production like setting flowers so that they can be pollinated so like apple trees fruit trees tomatoes anybody that's giving you fruit and it adds disease resistance and they also say it's not so soluble so you can actually if you think you need some boost in some of your flowering things you can add some in the fall 
And the very last one is, go, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) It's potassium. So this also encourages plant growth and helps with disease resistance. And it is also highly soluble. So it's something that you'll need to continually add like nitrogen to the soil each time that you feed. Um, And then all nutrient deficiencies can be hard to spot. They all look pretty similar because the plants react in a similar way for pretty much all the deficiencies. So we really recommend a soil test to determine what is missing from your soil. Because when you have these continuing plant problems, it often is because of a soil nutrient deficiency. I mean, with insects and um, funguses coming into your plants, it really, it does have to do with nutrient deficiencies. Normally a plant that is happy and healthy doesn't get the diseases in insects on it. So providing the correct nutrients where it will benefit you in so many ways. And then also pH of a soil. So the pH of soil refers to its acidity versus the alkalinity of the soil. Different plants need a different pH. Um, most vegetable gardens like to be between a 6.8 and a 7 pH level, but um, rhododendrons, blueberries, heathers, all are really big acid lovers. And then delphiniums, beets, and baby's breath are classic alkaline examples. So it really depends on the plant. Um, your tag should tell you when you're putting in your nursery plants into the ground. It should tell you what kind of pH level it likes, or you can look it up online. But it is important to know because plants, you know, it's another thing that'll keep them happy by making sure the pH level is right. And if the pH is wrong, like with blueberries, They aren't able to access the food that's in the soil, so you can put in all the fertilizer you want, but if the pH is too high at a 6.8, they're not going to be able to access any of that fertilizer. So the the pH on something like blueberries and heathers and things like that has to be down in the 4.5s to 5s, which is low, and we found through testing that we used peat moss and which will bring the soil pH down and we use topsoil to bring the pH down but we did not add any compost the compost brings the pH right up into a neutral level so these are things that if you're planting something special um you just have to know a little bit about it. And like Chelsea always tells you, any questions are welcome if you're not sure. And the other thing to get a soil test is almost every state has a university or some facility that runs an extension service. And usually the soil test costs like, oh, I'm going to say around $15. And if you're putting in a new garden, it's a great idea. Once you get all your soil in, you do have to let it sit a little while so it can all become um homogenized. So, um, and then you would take a soil test and you would send it off. So if you put your bed together this fall, you might soil test it 
early spring because that's when most people do their testing. So do it early spring, send it off, and it will tell you what you need. The other thing it will probably mention if they do a good soil test is some of your micronutrients. And those aren't necessarily included in a fertilizer bag but they can make a big difference in how your soil's behaving. So you read your soil test thoroughly and try, if you need help, you can call them and they will help you figure out what to add. Yeah, micronutrients play a role in the process of photosynthesis. And every time your plant um, is growing new stems and uh, converting you know, sunlight to energy for leaf production and root production and stem production, it uses uh, magnesium, calcium, and boron, these micronutrients to make sure that these happen. Now, they don't play, you know, they're not as important as potassium, nitrogen, or phosphorus, but they still play a pretty significant role. So, it's important to make sure that you do have the micronutrients that your the plants need. So now we're going to move into organisms. And this possibly is the most important part of your soil. Personally, I think organisms are the most important part. Um, They work symbiotically with the plants. So that way the roots get the nutrients that they need. I mean, the microorganism food, like web underneath the soil can bring nutrients from far away from the plants all the way back to them. They work with the plants so that way they can get everything that they're looking for, even if it's not immediately surrounding the plant. And they also convert the nutrients that exist in the soil into something that the plants can access. Exactly. Yeah. It's not... Just because it exists in the soil doesn't mean that the plants are able to get it. You have to convert it into something that they're able to eat and digest. It's like um, I've been doing a lot of research on it, and the nutrients in the soil could be thought of as some sort of other currency, like um, rupees or um, yen, But you can't use rupees and yen in the United States. You have to get it um, exchanged into a U.S. currency. So you have to get the nutrients to be the right currency for the plants. And when you look at it like that, then I'll add my two cents because (laughs) the plants in exchange, sort of an interest rate, the plants give off sugars back into the soil. And when they do, the microorganisms that are in the soil are grateful to have them. It's the food that they need themselves. So they have a relationship where, and the plants are expecting that sugar to provide for the other nutrients. So, and the one of the points we wanted to stress too is that as you're building this soil, we want you to keep in mind that the whole thing is alive. And as soon as you come to terms with that, then you'll realize that everything that you're putting in there for food is you're feeding 
all the entities that are in there, from the earthworms all the way down to the micronutrients, so microorganisms. So what we want you to do is look at your soil differently. It's not just a block that you grow plants in. It's actually a living entity, and it's what you're actually growing. You're growing really good soil, and by that, you'll get great plants. Yeah. And not only do they work with the plants, but they can work to get the toxic materials that exist in the soil from um, pesticide use or runoff from cars or any sort of um, existing pollutants that get into your soil. It happens even when you're acting organically and holistically. It still happens because the pollutants exist in the air and they just go into the soil. It's the way the world works. So microorganisms can produce enzymes that break down these pesticides and toxic substances and get them out of your soil because you don't want to be eating those things. You don't want the plants to take those up. So to by adding and making sure that the soil is um, healthy. healthy, it allows for the bad things to get out of it, which is great. And they microorganisms also improve the soil structure. So they make it so that way it's even harder for erosion to occur. So that way you lose less soil. It um, makes the plants more secure in the ground for um, climate issues like heavy winds and heavy rains. If the soil is more structurally sound, then it's a lot safer for the plants. They don't have to work as hard to stay strong in the soil. They There's just so many reasons why bacterial and fungi webs and the other aspects of soil are, it, it's so important. It, it really is a living thing. And, and it's so important to try to, to change that mindset to see that. Yeah, so that also kind of brings up the idea of no-till farming a little bit. Um, it's hard because when you first are tackling soil and it has been untouched for a really long time, it can be very compact, which makes us want to fluff it up, which would include tilling. And... Um, I think there's this weird kind of balance that you need to create um, when you're first coming to soil. You have to work it. You have to build it. You need to make it stronger. You need to bring the life back to it, add the microorganisms, bring back the worms, and create a soil that is healthy. And then you can start um, maybe following that idea of no-till because it, it – it's hard to start out that way when you have a weak soil that doesn't have the life that it needs in it. So I think um, it is doable. I think there's a lot of talk out there about no-till farming. I'm not super experienced with it, so I don't have too much to say about it. But I did think it was important to mention as we're talking about microorganisms. So we'll move on to soil tests a little bit. We mentioned before about how you can find um, a soil test 
tester near you. Um, however, there is some testing that you can do at home. There's a jar test and you can definitely look it up on YouTube. There's for sure videos on how to do it yourself. It's really easy. Um, you just need a mason jar and a shovel, really. Scoop. <laughs> yeah, scoop a soil. Scoop yeah. a soil. <laughs> and um, you'd add um, your topsoil to a jar and add some water. Then, you know, hopefully you have a lid. It's important to have a lid because you're going to shake it all up. And then you're going to let it settle. And that would tell you um, how much of... It really tells you the texture of your soil. So it's going to tell you how much sand you have in it, how much silt. You know, again, this is the size of the particles, how much clay. And then at the top, you're going to see the organic matter floating. And hopefully, once everything kind of settles, you'll see a good thick inch of organic matter at the top. And then you'll go down through the clay, then silt, then sand at the bottom. And um, it kind of tells you, like, this is where you'd find out about sandy loam or clay loam or just straight up clay soil or it's very silty soil. And again, the you need a sandy loam so that way water drainage Water sticks to the particle surface, and also it allows it to drain away. You don't want plants sitting in water. So it's just important, another way for you to get a better idea of what kind of soil you have and how to work towards getting your soil to be something that you want it to be. So why does this all matter for your plants? <laughs> to start, I guess, you don't want to use chemical fertilizers you don't want to use harmful things on your soil. We said it before, we'll say it again. Soil is a living thing. It's living. So when you're putting these chemicals right on top of it, it's going to hurt the living things that already exist there. Pesticides, herbicides, they're meant to kill. And so they kill not just the things that you don't want, but also the things that you want. So when you kill off the things that you want, then there's nothing left in there. That's when you run into issues of plants not wanting to grow in it because there's nothing alive in it. You want the living things in it. You want the good bacteria, the good microorganisms. When you add these chemicals to it, kills them off, that's when you'll need the really, really high numbered fertilizers to the people that make these soils, these pesticides, these fertilizers, it's a money-making scheme. <laughs> they want you to keep buying. So they make you pay for pesticides and tell you that you don't want, you know, you want to kill these things that exist. So you put it on and then you aren't able to get the nutrients in the soil out of it because the microorganisms aren't there because they're gone. So then you have to buy the fertilizers, the really high numbered fertilizers and put them on your plants for them to be pretty. But you're going to have to continue to keep supplying these things because like we said before, nitrogen is soluble, potassium is soluble. So as you're watering, they're going to run off 
through the through the system. So you'll have to keep adding more fertilizer and more fertilizer because the plants aren't going to be able to get it out of the soil like they would have been able to before because the microorganisms were there before, but now they're not. So it's important to use these methods, these organic methods, so that way you create a system that continues on. It is so much more sustainable to use organic fertilizers and rely on the system because the ultimate goal is to have fruits and vegetables that are healthy and wholesome. It's just, it's so important. And why go to the trouble of having a garden if it, you're just going to have pesticides and herbicides and chemical fertilizers? There's just no point. <laughs> so I guess that's my two cents about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good two cents. I think it's worth more than two cents. Over the years, lots of mistakes have been made. I read an article about the gentleman that designed that in, well, basically he created the fertilizers for your lawn that would let them have no clover. Clover is a nitrogen setting plant, so it works beautifully in, comp in companionship with your grass. So he developed this. So the fertilizer came on the market saying that basically you could run around in your grass and not get stung by a bee, okay? The man, years went by, and as he got to be older, he said it was the biggest mistake he ever made in his whole life was designing something, creating something that broke the whole natural system. So that's what we have to be careful of. We're here to protect what we've been given. We don't really have the right to change things, to make the earth have a harder time than she's already having. I mean, all of this process that we've talked about today is taking place everywhere. You go into the woods, the new foliage falls. This year's foliage is going to fall pretty quick. It's going to compost itself down. It's going to feed the micronutrients that are in the soil. Out in a big space like that, the micronutrients allow, microorganisms, I'm sorry, allow the trees to travel up to 200 feet to get the nutrition that they need and require. So every time we interrupt these systems, there are ramifications, and those ramifications aren't helping. And there are people all over the country now that are doing no-tilling, that are um, putting animals on land, that are moving the animals continually so the animals are rebuilding the soil from the damage that's been done. You can't plant and leave bare soil all winter long, like Chelsea said, or it all blows away. We've lost a trillions of tons of, of topsoil out west where they leave it wide open and the winds come down and the snow comes and the topsoil goes. Um, so it's pretty much our responsibility to begin to take some energy um, and some, you know, clear conscience to try and protect what we have and revert some of the things that aren't so good. 
So that's what we feel, and that's why we're here, and that's why we keep <laughs> saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, and testing your soil, we said it before, do it in the spring, but a lot of the building back of soil can be done during this time of year. Adding compost, add a layer of compost on your garden beds this fall. It will help so much in the spring. It'll put you so much more ahead in the springtime by making sure that these nutrients are there, adding extra foliage, um, just raking up the leaves from the grass this fall and then putting it on your beds. It's putting a blanket over your bed so the microorganisms and the worms have a little added protection from the frost. It can continue working the soil in and out and aerating it themselves. And then also it will add more organic material to the beds too for them to kind of work in. So just there are things that you can start doing now. You don't have to wait until the spring, but um, soil testing is something that is super helpful, though, and can give you a better idea of what kind of soil you're going to be working with. We test we test ours about every other year now that we've been here a while, and it changes. So then we make these little adaptations, and off we go again. And um, but our beds are beautiful. Chelsea and I were out one day, and I said our beds are two feet deep, and I said, so how far can you shove your hand down into that? meaning the soil's soft, it's pliable, it's loose, it has air inside. And both of us could get down about, well, I don't know, 18 yeah. inches. 18. So we just made a fist and we jammed it down in and we got about 18 inches into the soil. So if we can move through it that easily, then everybody else is, including nutrients and including water. And we end up with root balls that are huge. And as we told you in other episodes, we don't pull the root balls in the fall because we don't want to lose all that beautiful soil. But the also the the... And the um, different different organisms are working into those roots all winter long. And there's not much root left, really, when we pull them in the spring, just the top part, you know. So, um, yeah, so uh, we think you... You'll be fine. We think if we can, if you bear with us, we'll keep you informed. Um, maybe next time we talk about actually building a new bed, and this might be the time because we also think this is a perfect time of year to do these things because it's cool enough out. It's not too hot. It's for us, it's not snowing and it's not freezing. So this is coming up to be a beautiful week this week. So there's always lots of projects going on. So, oh, yeah. Lots of fun to come. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening this week, and I hope you all have a really great day. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button and the little bell so that you are the first to know when we've released a new episode. Feel free to tell your friends or anyone that might like to listen. Another great way to support us is by rating us on the Apple Podcast app. This allows other listeners to find us more easily so they can check us out for themselves. Lastly, we want to thank those of you that have decided to donate to the podcast. 
It allows for us to pay for our equipment and software so that way we can continue to make the content that you all love. If you can and would like to support us in that way, there are links on our website, eastmeadoworchard.com, and also in the bio of our Instagram page, at Chelsea in the Meadow. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This show was brought to you by Red Circle. It was edited by Chelsea Braz. Our master engineer was Ben Braz. And a special thanks to Barbara Dombrowski, Kristen Braz, and East Meadow Farm and Orchard for helping us make this possible.